Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rank the 80s with me, JP Ronnie. And today we're going to take a look at a few classic Sega Master System games, because it wasn't all about Nintendo in the 80s, even though it mostly kind of was. But Sega did give it a good go. And their persistence did pay off in the 90s with the Sega Mega Drive and the success of the Sega Master System itself in Europe and Brazil. Now, of course, we're not going to focus on those times. I'm instead going to focus on the early days of the Sega Master System. In particular, 1985 and 1986, which saw three particular games which came bundled on multi-carts back in the early days of the Sega Master System. So let's take a look at one of the launch games for the Mark III in Japan, Hang On. Now, Hang On was, of course, a very important arcade game, since not only was it one of the first arcade games to incorporate a full-body experience by making you sit on a bike and actually control the game using that, but it was also one of the first games to introduce hardware scaling effects, a technique that Sega would utilise quite a lot in the 80s and 90s, with games like Outrun, Space Harrier, and Thunderblade, which would all receive adaptations for the Sega Master System later on down the line. But we're going to focus on the game that started it all, Hang On. Now, Hang On, for those who don't know, was a motorbike racing game similar to Pole Position, in which you have to race a bike through a series of courses in a limited amount of time, while trying to avoid getting hit by other bikes. It's a pretty simple game conceptually, and like I said, it was very much in the vein of Pole Position. The core gameplay really wasn't all that much different from that. And of course, it was a showcase game on both the Master System and in the arcades. Now, obviously, the Master System version was going to receive some cutbacks, mostly in the form of presentation, for starters, there's no no music during gameplay, instead you only hear a 10 second snippet of the tune from the arcade game when you first start the game up, and the rest of the game has no music. Though, to be honest, I don't really mind this, as there's plenty of sound effects going on during the actual game. You have the engine noise of your bike, as well as the standard overtaking crash noises and that sort of thing. It's pretty much exactly what you would expect from a racing game. And honestly, I prefer the sound effects in this one to the arcade game. I found that the... I found the engine noise in the arcade version to be a little bit abrasive, personally. Maybe that's just me, but I would prefer to listen to the sound effects in this. Now, the graphics definitely took a hit in the conversion, though it's really not that much different graphically. You know, you lose the multi-layered scrolling that the arcade version has because it's a Master System game. The system wasn't capable of that. And the scaling effects were simplified because the Master System could not handle hardware sprite scaling. But to be fair, the sprite scaling effects do look pretty good given the hardware. I'd say this game looks a little bit better than the likes of F1 Race and Rider, which were released around this time. Not only do the sprites have a lot more colour than you would find on a standard Famicom game, especially for the time, but if you go back and play F1 Race, if you ever move away from the centre or into a turn, then you get these sort of jagged lines on the edge of the track, which kind of bother me, and they did not fix this in time for Mac Rider. Whereas this game does not have this problem. The hazard lines on the centre of the track do jag a little bit, but not enough to where it's really all that noticeable. So graphically, this is pretty good for the time. The controls are nice and smooth too. While the game doesn't feel quite as fast as the arcade version, it does retain the smoothness, and the turning in this feels quite nice to do. Even though this version restricts you to using the D-pad, the turning still feels quite nice and smooth. Oddly enough, this version actually does add a gear system, which wasn't present on the arcade. You have to use up and down to switch between gears, though honestly, I don't really mind this. It's just kind of there. As for the core gameplay, you race through eight different courses with five sections, and like the arcade version, each section has its own environment. But the thing is, the arcade game, you only had one course. When you finish that course, the game would just end. Whereas in this game, you go through eight tracks. So to have eight tracks is definitely a big point in this version's favour. 
like I said, the gameplay is smooth, and it's also nice and intuitive. You know, you can pick this game up in a few seconds and figure out how to play it just fine. I do have a couple of major complaints with this game, though, which really keeps it from being one of my favourites. The first one being the difficulty. Now, the arcade version of this game is really quite difficult, and that makes sense, because if you're good at the game, you could beat it in about five minutes. Now, for the Master System version, they decided to tone down the difficulty, and this made sense because the game is longer, so there wasn't as much of a need to make the game difficult. The problem is that I find that this version is a little bit too easy, because first off, the bikes are less aggressive than they are in the arcade version. In the arcade version, the other bikers constantly try to knock you off the side of the road, whereas in this game, they mostly tend to mind their own business. They do sometimes switch lanes, but that seems to be independent of where you are on the screen. The AI bikers are also pretty predictable in this version too, since if they're in the centre of the track, they don't tend to switch lanes at all, whereas if they're on the edge of the track, they'll often switch from one edge to the other. This version does have multiple difficulties to choose from, but honestly, the difficulties really don't do much. As far as I can tell, the only difference between difficulties is how often the AI changes lanes from one side to the other. And that's really about it. The game never changes the time limit, or makes the AI more aggressive, or anything like that. So yeah, level 3 is really not much different from level 1. The other problem comes in the courses themselves. Like I said, the arcade version only has one course, with five distinct areas that you race through. The problem is that while the Master System version adds more courses, it really doesn't make an effort to differentiate them from each other. Literally the only difference is the track design itself, and this is not made obvious to the player, since the only thing that changes between the courses is the turns, and that's it. As a result, all eight courses feel pretty much identical to one another, and once you've beaten course one, there's really not much to see past that point. The thing is, this would have actually been pretty easy to fix too, since they had four unique backgrounds that they could have used. And yes, I did say four, because the fifth one is just a repeat of the first one with a different background colour. All they had to do was make each course use one background, use them across four different courses, and then just repeat them for the other four and just change the background colour. I can only assume they didn't do this to try and make it more like the arcade version, but come on now, this is where deviating from the arcade version would have really benefited the home version. As it is, I'd say this game is pretty good and probably one of the best arcade races that you could get on console at the time, but it would definitely be superseded by better games in the years to come. And I suppose for that reason, I can't rank this above Blade of Steel, it's just not as good. That said, I would say this is better than B-Wings, it's got better presentation, and it definitely worked as a showcase for the system's graphical capabilities when it was new. So with that out of the way, let's turn your attention to a couple of lesser known Master System titles, and let's see if they're any good. Starting off with Pit Pot, also known as Magical Castle Pit Pot, originally released for the Mark III in December 1985, before getting a release in Europe in 1987, Pit Pot is a pretty interesting title for its time. I think the best way to sum it up is to say that it's like a cross between Zelda, Adventures of Lolo, and Load Runner, and you'd probably think that from that description that this game would be quite good but we'll see about that. Now, the idea of this game is that you have to go through a dungeon. The game calls it a castle, but it definitely feels like a dungeon to me. Going around various single-screen rooms, destroying blocks and whacking enemies with a hammer, and also collecting various treasures to rescue a princess. In particular, you need to find a wedding ring, a cross, and a potion. And if you don't have those treasures when you rescue the princess, you lose. As in, you just straight-up lose. You don't even get to retry or anything like that. 
Now I'll say this, this game is kind of ahead of its time in a certain way, because this did come out a couple of months before Zelda, but it really feels like the dungeons from that game to me. Not only are the dungeon rooms themselves single screen and marked out with blocks, but you even have the similar looking doors off to the sides, which is pretty interesting. And it has kind of a similar design to it, where you have to find keys and hidden items that you have to discover through odd ways, like destroying certain blocks, or collecting certain treasures to reveal blocks or other treasures. Now the controls for the most part are not that bad, but I do have some issues with them. Now you move around with a D-pad, and unlike Zelda or Dig Dug 2 or various other overhead games, you're not confined to a grid, which is good. What isn't good however is that whenever you use the hammer, the game then confines you to a grid, which doesn't make any sense to me. My best guess is that there were hit detection issues involved in the hammer and they had to fix it by doing that. I don't know, but it is kind of annoying at points where you try to attack an enemy, and then you warp a couple of pixels to where the enemy is, and you die because of it. Another issue that I have with this game is that you destroy blocks simply by whacking them with the A button when you're in front of them. And that's fine in itself, but if you go to the edge where the solid blocks are that you can't destroy, and press the A button when you're facing another block, it will regenerate all the blocks in the center. Now this isn't bad in and of itself, and is in fact essential to get past certain points, or to get certain items. But the problem with this is that there will be times where you do this by accident or out of necessity because there'll be an enemy there that you have to kill but you're in the middle of trying to destroy certain blocks so you can reveal an item but you have to kill this enemy otherwise you die. This is quite annoying and it really makes me wish that one of the buttons would kill the enemy but not regenerate the blocks but they just never program this into the game and it can be really annoying on certain sections especially given how hard it can be to destroy some of these sets of blocks given that oftentimes the blocks that you need to smash up will be spread out all throughout the room or there'll just be a ton of enemies on screen at once the amount of enemies does vary between screens sometimes you only get one over times you could end up with five which is quite annoying now granted, the enemies themselves usually aren't all that aggressive. The ones that just kind of wander around the stage seem to mind their own business and don't really make much of an effort to chase you down. There are a couple of other enemy types, such as the dragons that just kind of sit there and breathe fire at you. Kind of reminiscent of those statues in Adventures of Lolo, which will breathe, I think it's supposed to be wind, I can't actually remember. But yeah, those things that just kill you instantly. The difference is that unlike Adventures of Lolo, where he just stands there and dies like an idiot, in this game you can actually walk past it. There is also a rare hopper enemy that shows up in a few screens, but they're pretty rare and actually dodging them seems to be a case of luck rather than skill. And to be fair, they kind of disappear really quickly anyway, so usually they won't hit you. And there are various other treasures hidden in the game, but as far as I could tell, the three that I mentioned at the beginning are really the only ones you need to win. And interestingly, the game does have multiple endings based on what treasures you have when you beat the game. And it's also possible to destroy the blocks that the princess is sleeping on, causing her to die and give you an alternate game over. What is kind of strange though is the fact that, while you do have multiple lives, if you get to the princess and you don't have all the treasures, it's an instant game over. Now, to be fair, the game isn't that long on the lower difficulties, but on the higher difficulties, it can take ages to figure out. And even on the beginner level, it can take quite a while to figure out what you're doing, since the mazes, while they generally aren't that big technically, they're a lot more confusing to navigate for several reasons. The first one is that there's just no map in the game at all. You can't refer to any kind of radar system or anything like you can in Zelda, and that makes it really confusing. The other thing that makes it really confusing is that the maze actually loops. This is most noticeable in the practice mode, where the dungeon is a 4x4 square, where you just loop between the same two screens constantly if you go in one direction. 
this is more just of annoyance than anything. Honestly, I don't think that these looping screens really add anything to the game. It just makes it more confusing to navigate, and I did not like that part myself. Honestly, that combined with the issues attacking and revealing items and all this, and the fact that even if you get the best ending, the game still has the balls to give you a game over message afterwards, yeah, it just kind of leaves a sour taste in my mouth. I like the idea of this game, but eh, the game itself doesn't quite work for me. I'm sure there are some people out there that have more patience, but as for me, I think I'd rather just play Zelda instead. I feel like this is one of those games I should have got more fun out of than I did, and for the most part it was just more frustrating than anything else. And for that reason, I'd have to put it below B-Wings. It's definitely better than Bird Week, but yeah, I can't really say much more for it than that. And so we move on to the final game of today, a little rudimentary shooter known as Astro Warrior, a game that came bundled with Hang-On in America, and that actually came bundled with Pit-Pot in Europe, before receiving a standalone release in December that year. As far as shooters go, Astro Warrior is about as rudimentary as you're going to get. This isn't necessarily a bad thing though, especially given the lack of shooters the Master System had at the time. The only real competition it had was Fantasy... The only real... The only choice... The only other choice you really had at this point was Fantasy Zone, and in Japan you also had Satellite 7, but that game wasn't very good. So how does Astro Warrior play? The best way to describe this game is to say that it's like Sega's attempt to do an update of Star Force with some ideas from Gradius mixed in for good measure. Hell, the game even looks like Star Force with its space stations built onto what look like giant asteroids. That said, the graphics do have their problems. For starters, the Famicom version of Star Force actually had sort of this cool multi-layered effect with the stars in the background, and that's completely missing from this game, giving the game a very flat look by comparison. And keep in mind, this game came out over a year after Star Force on the Famicom did, so that's not a good sign. What's worse is that the background colour often clashes with the sprites too, making it hard to spot certain enemies, or especially your own ship. And to make things even worse, it's also very easy to miss the power-ups the game gives you, since they just look like standard enemies. You wouldn't think to actually ram into them until after a couple of times of playing it. That said, the sound is fine. I mean, the tunes are forgettable, but they're okay for what they are. You can take it or leave it. As for the controls, well, it suffers from the same problem as B-Wings, where you have to mash the button constantly to shoot. Now, this isn't as bad as some other shooters, since you can alternatively tap between both buttons but it's still kind of a problem, and while you can hold down the button to shoot, it fires way too slowly for that to really be a viable strategy. My recommendation with this game is to use a turbo controller. Some people regard it as cheating, but I say sod those people. The game is a lot more fun this way. As for the gameplay, it's pretty much what you would expect. Enemies come in waves, and you have to try to shoot them or dodge them, and occasionally power-ups will show up and just float down the screen and you have to try to catch them, and that's really about it. There's only three different types of power-ups too. You've got the weapon upgrades, which eventually give you a wider shot like in 1942, and then eventually a laser, which kills the bosses quicker, but does fire at a slower rate than the regular gun. There's also speed-up power-ups, and options. That's where the Gradius influence comes in, since you can have up to two options, and these are incredibly useful for dealing with bosses, as you can spend a lot more effort dodging the bullets they fire instead of just trying to hit the boss. That said, this game did also take some of the less good ideas from Gradius, in particular the checkpoint system. 
In particular, the fact that you lose all of your power when you die, and the fact that you're sent back to a checkpoint when you die. These aren't necessarily that bad in and of themselves, and it doesn't necessarily hit you as hard as it would in Gradius, but where this becomes a real problem is with the boss fights. You see, at the end of each section, there's a boss fight. Now granted, there's only three sections, and by extension, only three bosses in the game, but these bosses are not easy, and they do take a few tries to learn, since they do switch up their pattern when you damage them enough. As a result, you're going to be dying to these bosses over and over again until you figure out the pattern. You see, stuff like this is why I recommend having a turbo controller for the game. The problem with the checkpoint system in this game comes if you die at one of the bosses, where you respawn right before the boss with no chance to get any power-ups. You might be able to get away with defeating the first boss, but against the later ones, forget it. Unless you're a master at these games, you're not getting past this point. That said, in spite of these issues, I actually did get a fair bit of fun out of this game. I mean, sure, it's nothing special, and honestly probably isn't even as good as the likes of B-Wings or Twinbee. But other than the checkpoint system, I actually did get a fair bit of enjoyment out of this game. While it's not a classic like Fantasy Zone, it's certainly way better than the likes of Satellite 7 or Zuno Senk and Galg, which I look forward to covering at some point, no doubt. And as a result, I would say this game is on a similar level to B-Wings. Though I would probably rank this just below B-Wings, just based on the fact that B-Wings had a lot more weapons for you to choose from, and the fact that you could duck behind the scenery, which this game just doesn't have. That said, if you want a decent shooter for the Master System, you can't go wrong with Astro Warrior. And so that brings an end to episode 2 of Rank the 80s. I hope you all had as much fun listening to me waffle about these games as much as I did playing them. And I will see you later, people. See you.